I invite you to stand in praise of our God and body or spirit as we hear the gospel. Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I'm under until it's completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five and one household will be divided, three against two. And two against three, they will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The Gospel of the Lord. So I'd like to invite the children to come forward. And parents, if you're there with littles or youngers, by all means, come forward with them. I wanted to share a couple things. So kids, you guys can come up this morning if you like. I got a short message for you today. Older kids, you can come up too if you want. See how daring you are. Just two of you? All right. Y'all, all the everywhere. There we go. Come on, you guys can listen. Come sit right here by me on the floor. Come on. I'm so glad that you came up, boys and girls. You are so awesome. Thanks for coming up. So I wanted to show you something. Look at this. This is made out of elk antler. My dad was an artist and a carver. He made this for me. Look around the church. 
You can see this symbol in the back wall back there. When my dad made this at the time, I wasn't the pastor here. I wasn't even ordained yet, but my dad made this because he knew I was going to be a pastor, and he was attending this church. And my dad wanted, yeah, sit down here. My dad wanted to remind me of how great God is and how as a pastor I get to tell people about God's love. Today, I just read a text that said, we, it said, it said kind of a funny word, but it said, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That just means that you are each surrounded by people that love you and care about you and who God gave a special job to, to remind you of how much God loves you and how faithful God is. And each of those people, hi. And each of those people were taught by someone else how much God loved them and how faithful God was. So I have a job for you today, if you can. I want you, after church, to ask your mom and dad And parents and families, you can each do this. You don't even have to have kids with you today. Share with another person today who who your your faith person is, who influenced your faith. You ask your moms and and dads or grandmas who's ever here to tell you about somebody that taught them about God's love and how faithful and loving God is, okay? Mine was my dad. My dad taught me that no matter what, God is faithful, even if it doesn't look like it. So that's what I wanted to share with you today. Thank you for coming up here to hear that. And don't forget to ask. Okay. You guys can go back and sit down. Maybe another teaser Matt, for the 5K race would be if you want to run that race and beat your pastor in a foot race. <laughs> I don't know if you can beat Pastor Eric, but I have a pretty good idea you'll probably beat me, and I plan on running. So, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. The race, the Christian life, living life, Christian or Christ-like, it is not like the 5K race, I wish. Christian living is more of a long-distance obstacle course race. That's challenging and hard. It takes endurance, perseverance, persistence, training, failure, all of those things. C.S. Lewis said, if you want a faith or a religion that will make you happy, I do not recommend Christianity. A bottle of port can do that, he said. It's not for the faint of heart. And here we are. In race terms, we're probably those who are running the Iron Man or the Iron Woman race, if you're familiar with those obstacle distance races. It's why it's so impactful to have witnesses who show us what living faithfully looks like, because we're in this together, encouraging, pushing each other to go a little farther and a little harder and a little faster, maybe, or a little deeper if we want to talk faith language. Who are those witnesses for you? Just like I asked the kids, think about it, it's important. What did they teach you? 
I have a deep, deep respect for my father who taught me that even if hail wrecks our crops, God's faithful. And so in, in all ridiculousness, we planted again next year and waited to see if things would grow. I have a deep, deep respect for my internship supervisor and his wife, Tim and Marianne. They taught me about hospitality and graciousness above and beyond for strangers. I did my internship in Copenhagen, Denmark, and they welcomed people into the house. Tim taught me to think critically. Tim taught me to think critically. Speak your mind and heart and love. After communion, you may see me go like this sometimes. Tim did that. I do it in honor of him and in remembrance of all those who've come after me, who've taught me that my pastor words matter. And if you know me, I don't always censor my mouth, and so it's an important thing for me every week to do that. I'm profoundly grateful for those female colleagues who've gone before me and those others who've shown me that my words matter, that sexist comments and language along with racist speech and jokes have no place in Christian mouths. I was talking one day with a group of colleagues and I was talking about the girls and the girls and she stopped me. And she said, what are you? And I said, well, I'm a man. And she said, how come girls who are women have to be the less than girls and not women? And they reminded me that as female pastors, they've had to work harder and longer and earn the authority that I get just by being me. Made an impact on me to remember that God sees all of us And that God's working to form faith in all of us. And that somehow this conundrum that we have with language and speech and actions in the world that don't match our Christian lives, that's the division Jesus is talking about. People don't take kindly to being called out. I I would use jokes as just a simple example because we talked about it in men's Bible study. Imagine calling out your friends as you're drinking coffee and they're telling sexist jokes or racist jokes. People don't like being called out, and yet that's a base, simple example, but Jesus says it matters. Words, speech, actions in the communal society matter, and so here we are. I wanted us to feel the profound challenge and and pinch of Jesus' words when he talks about division when he says, you hypocrites, I toyed around with how to say that. You hypocrites. You hypocrites. Because you have to read the whole of the gospel to get the impact because he also calls the people that he's with beloved children of God. He also calls them disciples. He also calls them those who are made whole in Christ. He also calls them those who have the kingdom of God. You who are poor and hungry and weeping. He calls them good trees. He calls them you faithful ones. He calls them you sinners. He calls them you righteous. He calls them you who are afraid to let your light shine, which is also like calling them you who have the light of God's love inside of you. He calls them you who are remembered by God, and he calls them you hypocrites. 
Now, to feel bad or convicted by Jesus' words, you hypocrites, doesn't feel good. It hurts. But imagine not feeling affected by it at all. Christ is reversing how things work in the world and in life, and that's why he's talking about division. The gospel in Luke is a radical reversal of everything that the world's way of living throws at us. And it happens from the beginning. In old age, Elizabeth becomes pregnant, reversal. The angel in Luke's gospel appears to marry the woman, not the man, and gives pronouncement. In Luke's gospel, Mary names Jesus with the angel's name, not Joseph. And pay attention, in Matthew's gospel, the angel appears to the man, not the woman, because that's how it worked. The king is born in the way of lowly peasants in Luke's gospel. Shepherds and foreigners pay him homage, not his own countrymen. Reversal. And we can't forget how Luke's gospel begins eight days after Jesus is born. Let's not forget Simeon. Remember him? Good old Simeon living his life as a prophet in the temple on the eighth day of Jesus' circumcision, dedication in the temple led by the Holy Spirit. Simeon's guided to the temple to find Jesus. He was told he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. And he sees the little baby and he takes him in his arms and he gives praise to God. And then he says this, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And then he looks at Mary, and he says, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. The inner thoughts of many will be revealed. The division that Jesus is talking about is, is simply or complicatedly a consequence of living a life dedicated to Jesus. Choosing the way over the other ways. Kingdom ways. It's easy to pretend that you're living Jesus' ways on the outside, but on the inside, have a heart that's hard or, or afraid or indifferent. Seeing someone living a better, more loving life is simply convicting, convincing, Sometimes challenging. Some of us respond at different times with anger or, or, or stoicness, well, or, or we get sad. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses is the idea that in the midst of our life circumstances and wherever we're at, there are people reminding us that God is faithful. You may be sitting here in a certain position today of heart, mind, and spirit wondering if God is real or if this really matters or anything. The idea is that you can look around and go, he believes it, and she believes it, and they believe it, and Pastor Eric believes it. And Truly, I tell you, I've preached before and not believed the word that I was saying because I was so broken. It was still true but I had 150 people believing for me, encouraging the words to come out of my mouth. That's the point. 
so that when real commitment is required and we cannot do it on our own, we have brothers and sisters to help us, or when we are unwilling to discern what's right, even though we know what is love, and we have a reminder that sometimes we're only standing on hypocrisy. And so Jesus was crucified. And the sword that pierces Mary's soul prophecy came true as she watched her son die for her. But he was crucified because he kept pushing this. This love hammering it in like a nail into a cross. Ours, maybe. And his own. For everyone to whom much has been given, Jesus teaches before this, much will be required. And from the one to whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. Is he talking about us? He teaches that. Maybe he's talking about himself. It's probably both. For he who has everything, all the power of creation, who holds everything in creation in the palm of his hand, heart, soul, you, them, sinners and saints alike, even the power of life and death, everything was required of him. And so love demanded that he give up his own life so that you could keep yours. And love yours and celebrate yours and mold yours into what Christ thinks you can be. Knows you are through his love and grace. Now if you want to understand what Christ's sacrifice of love looks like, it's actually pretty simple. Any parent would die to save their child. And so God became human and died on the cross and on the third day rose again and what was an end to Jesus' life became a beginning for yours. Sure, death wins, but in the radical reversal when Jesus is crucified and the inner thoughts of many are revealed, we also see the inner thoughts of the heart of God that you matter so much you cannot die. That when you do, you will live again in and through Christ. The inner thoughts were that some would rather kill love than give up power. That some would rather kill love than give up selfish desires or just have to change. But the truth is, love still wins for you. Christ's love is the creative, sustaining, enduring force. And it's a love for you through Jesus. And so we look to the cross it's what those who keep the faith remind me. It's what you remind me of every Sunday and what I hopefully remind you of every Sunday and so we're together. Jesus' radical reversal reverses everything. Even justice. What's justice? It's getting what you deserve. That's justice. You get what you deserve. Justice is applied and you get what you deserve, except we don't. Hanging there on the cross, naked and vulnerable and dying, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And we don't. We are so good and loving and caring and can be so transformational in the world and our relationships, and yet we can still do so many things wrong. And so Jesus says, you hypocrites. Because we know, but we don't know. 
So where does that leave us, dear hypocrites? Well, it leaves us deeply, deeply in need of a Savior, Jesus. And the good news is today that you have him. I went around there. The good news today is the radical reversal of life and grace and mercy that he has you and calls you a beloved child of God. Amen.